Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning, City Church family. As you know, we are in a sermon series that's entitled The Holy Spirit. And I'm excited about that, but because of recent events that have been happening in and around our community as well as now globally, I felt like God had put it on my heart that I was supposed to bring a sermon really focused on racism itself. And in the midst of getting that prepared and praying it through, I felt like God changed the focus in the sense of how the sermon should be delivered. And if you've been a part of the City Church family, you know that at times we pause sermon series and have what we call a God story. It's where people share their own experience of tough things that they've gone through and how Jesus has made a difference, how they've struggled to keep Jesus at the center in the midst of very, very difficult times. And so in order to kind of follow through with what I sense the Holy Spirit leading me to do, what I've done this morning is I've invited three people of color here at City to join me up here to help me preach the sermon by their sharing their God story and what they've experienced as followers of Jesus when it comes to racism and, again, their own personal experience. And so, listen, I want to thank you for being willing to help make this sermon sticky and applicable and spirit-led. Now, the, the scriptures that God had put on my heart in preparing the original sermon, there were two. There were two. And the first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 15, which says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And that's the Apostle Paul talking about how the church of Jesus Christ is to function. The other text that the Lord put on my heart was 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26. And the text says this, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And what I know is, is that a lot of what's happened through COVID, through racism recently, there's been a lot of division and polarization all over our country. And yet, I know that the gospel of Jesus calls us to something greater than that as a church family. I also know that when it talks about rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, we can't mourn unless we hear the stories of mourning in other people's lives. I can't suffer with you, Lamont, unless I know your story of suffering. And so the Apostle Paul is assuming that we are sharing life with each other and our own life experiences. And so in that, I've asked that these three people would join me here on stage to kind of help me preach the message on racism by them sharing their stories in and through faith of how racism has touched their hearts and touched their lives. Right again, so thank you for joining with me to kind of process through the issue of racism, through being a follower of Jesus and what that looks like. Um, in talking about this issue, it's, I've been very forthright that the church has been complicit in racism for many, many years. Uh, many of us pastors are moving towards this in a way where we want Jesus to transform our hearts 
that the church would truly be unified in Christ and what that could look like. And so in that, though, there's some tough conversations that we need to have, some really tough ones. And so um, I'm thankful that you guys have joined in on this conversation. And I know as we were kind of leading up to kind of preaching this sermon together, um, I know, Lamont, that you had shared an experience where you had a friend that came to you about some information, and it kind of allowed you to open someone's eyes, kind of have a different light on that. So if you could share that story, and we'll use that as sort of the starting point of what we're going to be talking about. Um, so uh, I have a great friend, and um, he has a relative that's in town, and uh, he's a police officer in another state. Um, and he mentioned to me that um, his uh, relative is having a difficult time um, with what's going on. And um, he feels targeted, and he feels in the sense that he can't wear his, uh, his um, gear that is affiliated with the, um, the uh, police station that he's working at. Um, and, you know, I told him I empathize, and I'm, and I'm glad that he's um, being vulnerable in a place where everyone feels like they need to clam up. Um, but I, I mentioned to him that, you know, at this time, um, that's what it feels like um, to feel targeted um, for no reason uh, based off of, you know, whatever it is, whether it's skin color or your affiliation with the police station um, or, um, you know, it's, you're not judging based off of your character. Um, you're based or off as something. an individual, right? Absolutely. It's kind of like certain people are there, what they've done gets superimposed on everyone Absolutely. who's involved with that. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, you also, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever character you are, um, you, you know, you don't want to feel like a traitor and you don't want to feel like you're abandoning your people, whether it's hmm. your, your brothers in the police station or people of color. Um, and, you know, I told him that in a, in a time right now, um, he fully, now he fully understands what it feels like to, to be targeted uh, for no reason. And um, I think that's important um, to, to, to pull in and hone in and maybe have a different perspective on what's kind of going on. Um, and so he shared that with me. And uh, one of the things I mentioned to him um, was that um, you know, having these tough conversations and, um, you know, those aren't lethal, but not having those conversations are very lethal because um, it could be life or death for a person of color if you're not having those conversations and explaining this is what, you know, people of color are going through. Uh, but if you're not having those conversations, it's, it could go either way. But I think just going deep down inside and just having those tough uncomfortable conversations um, are so necessary and so important. Educating yourself and, and hearing um, their experiences that people of color have gone through throughout sure. this um, time. So. Right. And Rob, I know that you referenced something that kind of a similar context or some thoughts that you've been having about kind of the polarization of our culture. And, and then Lamont, I love how you just said you don't want to betray your people, mm -hmm. but you also want to live where God calls you to live in the midst of that tension. So Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's just the, the polarization is such a, it's so hurtful, you know, because it's not necessarily either or, you know, where you can you can talk to your your friend and say, here's what we're experiencing. But I also support and don't condone violence against a police officer. And so that there doesn't have to be sort of, and you can, and oh, by the way, I'm still extremely outraged at what took place. 
And so, you know, that it's not just sort of one or the other. It's really this place where we're called as Christians to be able to reconcile people, right? And reconcile people to God. And so it, it, it requires understanding on one side and understanding on the other side and knowing that there can be things to learn, right? We can be completely outraged and also not be in support of hurting our police officers because these are, this is, this is, I don't want to say anybody's name. This is the gentleman that lives down the street from us who, when he drives by the kids in the neighborhood, he flashes the lights and he is, you know, I trust this individual and he's a, you know, he's just a great person to have in the community. And so when I look at him, I don't see what I see on the other side. So I, I, I have the opportunity to judge him as an individual and having known him. But then there's an opportunity now for us to have a conversation that says his, this is real life sensitivity training, right? And so, you know, I just caution us to get polarized by one or the other. If I'm outraged over here, therefore I can now not be friendly with a police officer. That doesn't make sense to me. But it also doesn't make sense to me to watch that and not be outraged and know that that could have just as easily could have been me. Or my experience has been that I've, you know, I've experienced racism and targeting. So I, it's not a, you know, just not that easy. Um, but I do think that we should try to, as believers, try not to run down a polarized path. Yeah. Tina, I know that you're the mother of a bunch of boys, right? And I, I think as a mother of color, and you think about this issue and the tensions and the polarization of the world in which we live, as a woman of faith, as a woman who follows Jesus, what are you saying to your boys? What, as a mom, kind of what's going through your mind as you're parenting these boys? And there's a huge spectrum in age, right? Like a huge spectrum huge. in age, right? Yeah. And so what, what is the Holy Spirit put in your heart? How are you moving through this issue as a mom? And then, and, and respond to what Robin Lamont just had to say. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks for the question. So yes, we do have a huge age gap from our oldest child to our youngest child. There's 20 years. With the boys, so we have two older boys that are adults over 21, and then we have two boys under 10 and under. Uh, so they're two different and you conversations. Have a girl in there too. And we have two girls. So, <laughs> yeah, you that's know. right. Um, so two different conversations um, with the older boys than with the younger boys. Um, and and then some of that reasoning is uh, developmental. Some of it's emotional capacity to understand their own understanding. And with the with the adults who are out and working or in college and home, um, it's more real. It's more raw. You know, they know our experiences. But also, they've been raised very much in a in a biblical worldview and in a Christian lens um, that has helped inform their identity. That doesn't mean that they're not aware of how they can be, be perceived. But I think that they have enough understanding of the human condition that um, though they can feel sorry, though they can address what is unfair and, un and unjust and totally unjust, um, I, I think that they have a, a, a grid within themselves where they're able to keep an unoffendable heart because they understand how people are wired, that 
that people that are racist or prejudiced or discriminatory are informed by ideas that have been imparted to them, maybe through family lines or through the environment. And so because they understand that, that kind of um, diffuses um, a little bit of the, the sense of emotional injustice that they may feel. Um, but they know, because there are people like that when they go out, you know, one is browner than the other. And so, you know, that has its own conversation in itself, too. Um, but they do have to be aware. Um, I remember one was taking music lessons downtown, and uh, as a teenager, I guess he was 14 or 15, and he and his sister, and you know, he had his swag and he had his walk and, and I had to tell him, you have to stand up straight. I need you to walk straighter. I need you not to lean over. I need you to take your baseball cap off and I need you to walk with your sister because I'm dropping them off and they're walking down. And he's like, but why? And I said, because no one's gonna assume you're a homeschool kid <laughs> and that you're a good kid. They're gonna look at you and judge you based on what you look like because they have stereotypes. And so those conversations we had to have with the older kids. With the younger boys, um, we've been very, very intentional for years to really obviously introduce them to the Lord because that's, you know, it's, it's about the heart. We can try to, you know, be kind to one another and we can try to practically serve and listen, but it starts with the heart. And so if the heart's not transformed, I mean, that's where the greatest fruit will be. So with the younger boys, that's where we're focusing is on sure. how, how do they perceive Jesus sees them? Right. And then, you know, there are different pieces of the conversation that we will have with them. Um, honestly, with the quarantine and ending school, we have not talked very much, honestly, about the protests and what's been going on mm -hmm. because we do understand we don't want to overwhelm their system with, oh my gosh, what's happening to the world? Yeah. You know, sure. and, and sure. feeling insecure about that, yeah. just to be honest. Yeah. So, so as a yeah. parent, you've been able to kind of cover them, right? Yes. And what I would assume is that there is an, a huger burden on you even in the midst of that, right? And one of the things that I've noticed as a community leader, here we are in the midst of this pandemic crisis, and then this happens, right? And it's almost, I have felt, that there are people that had no, no margin left. Yeah. And when this hit, now we're on our last raw nerve, as my dad used to say, and now the thing becomes very explosive, right? And I think that there's an added burden. But what I would say to you, Tina, I never once have ever given one of my children what you just told your children. When you walk across the mall, you better walk a certain way. You better do this, do that. I've never said that. It's been more of just be aware. It's a rough spot in town. I know you want to go down there. Just be wise. Text me when you get there kind of a thing, right? So and in, here in the City Church family, we have people who are forced to parent very differently than anyone else's parents. So Rob, as you're kind of sitting there, is there any other thoughts that you're kind of having in this conversation? What well, are your no, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's the same thing. That's, that was my training, you know, as a young person, right? You know, you're, right. my dad will, when you get pulled over, this is how you respond. This is what you do. You have your license and registration on the dashboard right here. You have your hands, both of them, on the wheel. You have all the windows rolled down. You look him in the eye. It's yes, sir, no, sir. That is, now is not the time to win an argument. Mm 
or start one, right? And so those are the things that we're impressed on, you know, just, I mean, and that's sort of, that's how you respond. So there is a, you know, I guess you call it an extra level of, of burden to, to prepare your children or to be prepared. And, um, I, you know, and then that's the condition of the human heart, right? That speaks to the condition of the human heart because um, can we, I'm hopeful, but, you know, the, the heart, without a transformation of the heart, programs and policies, they're, you know, that's just sort of an outward expression. Um, the change has to happen inside, and really only God can change the heart. I mean, I just wonder if I can be in a situation where someone is angry at me or yelling at me, and I can say, I know that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, and that there's a person who's hurting and has a story. Right. And so how do I make that connection? And that, you know, like... Let's, let's talk about that verse. Because I know that we have a lot of people here at City who you're new to Scripture. You're probably checking out Jesus even, right? And um, yet in this dialogue, you've heard that there's a call in Jesus to respond, not as the world does, but to respond as Christ and the Holy Spirit would lead us. So the verse that's often referenced, I know, Tina, as we were kind of getting ready for our time, that's one of the verses that you've mentioned. And it's this, where the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in heavenly places. In other words, um, breaking that down, here's how I've always looked at that. There's what the scriptures call a spirit of death. And then there's a spirit of life, which is involved with Jesus. Jesus said of the spirit of death, it comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Those two spiritual entities are in opposition to each other, right? And both of those spiritual entities are looking for actors that would join underneath them and walk out their will. Now, here's what's interesting. Oftentimes with the spirit of death or sin is where it begins in the first chapter of the Bible. There's this force called sin. People unwittingly, even unknowingly, become a part of that and become an agent of death or of sin or destruction or whatever. Um, but when it comes to Jesus, you have to choose. And I know a lot of times, even in this conversation, you're saying a transformed heart. And I know what you mean, Tina, but I think it's a transforming heart. It's one where, and you know what I'm getting by that, where the Holy Spirit is constantly working on us. Now, in the midst of that, though, we've got these two forces that are looking for people to be human agents to walk that out. Rob, the text that you just shared was where the Apostle Paul says, when he's looking at someone who wants him to die because he's a Jew or because he's a Jew that's chosen to follow Jesus. And back in the day, that was a very difficult thing, whole different conversation. But the apostle Paul says, he does the spiritual math and says, I am not against flesh and blood. It's not about people, but there are spiritual forces that are behind these people. And he's reminding himself and all followers of Jesus about that. So talk about that a little bit more deeply. Well, that's a, there's an element of, um, having to understand the scriptures a little bit, you know, or having been taught to see how that can play out or to having or have experienced praying for someone and seeing their hearts change. Wow. And so when you have sort of these, you know, practical examples or you have 
empirical evidence that backs up what the scripture says, then all of a sudden your highest degree of certainty becomes your experience. And so if you've been involved with a situation where you've prayed for someone and their heart has changed, you see God, man, it's amazing, right? I mean, I, you know, thing. I can look at, you know, I don't have to look at everybody else. I can look Even at my our own, own heart, hearts, my, right? You know, I can look yeah, at my yeah, own yeah. heart. And, um, and so the, you know, the, there's a practical element sometimes of stopping to allow God to speak to you before you act. And uh, that's a sort of a check for, for me. And so, again, I mean, the preach is to myself, really, um, to, and to recognize that we can pray and we can see things changed and because, and God calls us to that. And so again, it's always, you know, it's maybe it's easy sometimes. I mean, even in the Christian, in the church, it's easy. Like, well, we pray, we pray, we pray. But so, you know, sometimes you're gonna have to meet people that don't have a biblical worldview or don't know who Jesus is. And so you know, it's often powerful when you can say, let's test God and see what happens. Yes. You know, I'm not, you got to understand mm -hmm. sort of what I'm saying, that God will reveal himself to the true seeking heart, even if the person that doesn't know him. So Sure. Um, and those, even those, if there's a layer of racism that's pushing back against that. Lamont, I know as we were preparing for this sermon, you had referenced to me how faith has grown in your heart, how you've battled with anger and hatred in your own life, and how God has kind of brought you through different phases of that. And then now you're in a biracial marriage and you're raising, raising this biracial daughter and kind of some of the spiritual wrestling that you've done before God. So could you talk kind of practically a little bit more about that in your own life? Yeah. Um, so speak about my daughter. Um, you know, she was born August 10th, 2017, which was two days before right. August 12th. Um, and that contrast between what was going on in our city and her wow. being born is a, wow. is a very interesting contrast. Um, and with her being born, I felt a need of, of something more. Um, and I started looking um, for answers in my own life and my wife's life and um, in my family's life and friends. And I started going to the Lord more um, during a time where I felt like I needed it the most. Sure. Um, because before, you know, it's when it was just me by myself before my wife was here, right. I felt like I could handle it on sure. my own. Yeah. Um, and then getting my wife into my life, um, you know, I started realizing, okay, I need a little more help here. And then now I have a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Yeah. I feel like I need it even more, and I'm thirsty for that, um, right. for those answers. I'm constantly seeking those. And I find those answers in, um, in the Lord. You know, I'm asking questions of, like, as I mentioned before, you know, I could, I could approach it from anger and be like, I, I hate police officers. I hate um, people who want to harm me. Or I can look at a sense of sadness of like, why is this happening? Um, but then when I reached out to the Lord, I realized there's a different perspective and there's a way that I can look at it um, spiritually and just say, okay, let me try to look at this from a different perspective and come at it with compassion because I feel like racism isn't necessarily a problem with the mind is a problem with the heart. Mm. Um, and if you can, as Rob and Tina and you guys mentioned, you know, if you can transform the heart, you start to realize that there's something greater that, that can happen here. Um, and the Lord is calling us to do that. Yes. 
So Tina, one of the things too is that in our conversation, you were referencing just about racism, how you've experienced some of that in your community, um, how it can tend to go both ways at times, and how when we were kind of prepping for this sermon, you were deeply concerned about that. You were passionate about that. So if you could share a little bit about that from your perspective as a woman of color and how you've raised your boys and your daughters and some of the things that you've shared with them just about handling racism racism as a woman of color? Sure. Well, we want our kids to know that people are people and people, all of us are broken. And so that although they are, are going to incur that injustice of racism at some point in time, right. that they really have to position their hearts not to respond or react in a way that also um, would end up reversing the injustice, if you will. Um, I've had conversations, wonderful conversations. Uh, several people approached me this la last week, just really concerned about how we were doing, how I was doing, and and all of these people were white. And in the course of our conversations, uh, this topic of reverse discrimination or came up, and 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 it was under the vantage point of a, of a couple of them where you know I don't know what to say. I might say this to somebody, and they're and they're and they're offended. But I said this to my other black friend, and they were fine. And and I just feel caught. And and to one, I'm a racist, and to the other, I'm I'm fine. And and I, I really sympathized with that. And I and I said, you know, you're you're trapped. And because it is a complex problem, and what you've seen is you can have two people of the same race with different vantage points because our lens is from where we sit. And, and, and so I, I really sympathized that, you know, that we have to see individuals as individuals and that when we don't, we do uh, have the potential to, rehearse, to reverse the hurt and to assign something that's unfair to someone else. And, and, and that's just a s simple you know, way I would describe reverse discrimination. And so with our kids, it's to really, again, keep that unoffendable heart so that they can respond to humanity, to their fellow uh, man and woman, the way Jesus would. Sure, you know? sure. And look, I, I think it's very fair to say because we want some practical stuff that the city church family can do that the, the, the white section of our church family can learn is that I think that, and Tina, I know that you believe this, is that you, you constantly go to Jesus about this. This isn't a one-shot deal where your bucket's full, the bucket leaks, right? And so there are times where these issues are harder to bear than others. Lamont, you referenced that, and where you find that you need to go to God to get that perspective and the strength to respond the way God's calling you to respond. One thing that I'm interested in, and many of the people that have reached out to me at City Church are interested in, is how can we um, have the unity of the Spirit, which the Scriptures call us to, that we mourn with those who, who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. How can we, as this part of the City Church family, kind of gather around? What, can, what would you say to us? to say, here's some things to think about. Here's some things to do practically. And it could be just pray. I, I don't know. But I, I think, Rob, I'll start with you. Just what are some thoughts that you have towards your church family that you've led, you've served in for years and years? What are some of the thoughts that you'd have practically? It's a, there's a lot of things that kind of run in through my mind. But um, 
the, the, the opportunity to have a real conversation is really okay. where, where it's at, you know, um, and those take time. And so to build a relationship where you maybe didn't have one before, mm -hmm. um, let, let me just sort of go just sideways just no, for sure. a second yeah, yeah. here. I have a, a, a close friend of mine from business school who wants to develop a uh, sort of a Yelp, if you will, for um, police authority or your, your, your uh, interaction with a uh, policing authority, if you will. And so that you would have an opportunity to collect data and, and so that change can really happen when there's transparency and sort of data, data points. And they can be positive and negative, but, but that would continue to help validate and maybe even point out particular areas where things are bad and where things are good. Sure. And so, um, you know, ideas that can help people to get along better. Um, but practically speaking, it's really going to be relationships. Sure. You know, and it's going to be sensitivity. I mean, we all know right now this is just sort of a very sensitive time. Right. And maybe give grace to someone who, if you ask them a question, they respond and they're just a little bit angry or a little edgy. You know, maybe extend a little extra grace mm -hmm. uh, in the communication right. and, and sort of take the level of offense, your, you know, your offense level. Just drop it down sure. so that um, you, you can allow people to a conversation across the fence. If, yeah. if you will. Lamont, does anything come to mind for you? Kind of the practical feet to your faith way of walking this out as the Holy Spirit calls us to unity as a church family and to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah, and I agree definitely with Rob. Um, have those tough conversations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easy to um, come, come from a place of anger. Um, so I've had, you know, white friends reach out to me and said, are you okay? Things going well? Um, and the answer is always the same. I'm, I'm not okay. Um, but it, I appreciate them coming out to me and asking me these questions of like, how can we be better? How can, how can I personally be better to um, make sure this doesn't happen anymore? Like, what can, I, what can I do? And it's just having those conversations and having those relationships and reaching out to people um, and just lending a hand where you can. Um, and the last thing is, you know, uh, family and friends and even strangers hug them, but um, people of color just squeeze them just a little tighter. Um, and just let them know that you're there. Um, just lend your support and tell them that um, you're there and educate yourself. I sure. That's another one. Yeah, yeah, Pete, yeah. can I just say one other thing? Yeah, you know, course. it just came to me and as I was thinking about it, maybe the, the as, we, as you're walking down the street hmm. and you see a group of young teenagers that are black, how do you respond in your heart? You know, check yourself for a second. Just see sure. how do you respond. If you work in a clothing store and you see somebody walk in as a person of color, how do you react? Just that moment, that instantaneous moment, mm -hmm. to be aware of that. Oh, you know, because I've been followed around in a store before. But just, it, that's a way to sort of practically check yourself in situations and see what's in your heart and how you respond. Because, you know, when you, you approach someone, you, you see people of color coming towards you and you have a little child and you squeeze their hand tighter, you've sent an unconscious signal. Right. And so, again, it's about, you know, a, a level of awareness and sensitivity that, you know, maybe you haven't considered before. Right. Tina, any that's thoughts exactly, on that? That's exactly where I was going. That's, thank you for the segue. Um, yeah, what would be 
helped me that is practical, but some may think it's impractical, is, is that very thing, being self-aware to really go before the Lord. I mean, you have to start in that place and say, I need to identify my triggers. I need to find out why I react, why, um, you know, if you're white, saying, what are my fears? What are the things that I've believed or that I've heard and I've never done anything with? They're just kind of sitting in the back of my mind. Um, do, I, do I believe that all black men are dangerous? And if so, why? And where did I get that from? And, you know, taking all of that sin, which is what it is, and taking it to the Lord because the blood has to cover that, you know, and for him to begin to teach you and, and, and reform um, the way you think and, and feel and you know, we all have to do that, even black people, you know, just when things are so sensitive, it's so easy to get offended and, and to and to be angry and, and, and like then to assign, you know, um, but we all have to, you know, come before the Lord. It's, it's, it's that uh, what sometimes I call just processing our hurt, processing our pain with Jesus and saying, this is what hurts and this is why it hurts. And it reminds me of, you know, my grandfather who went through that and now I'm dealing with it and things supposedly have changed, but they haven't really. It's all a facade. And, but taking all of that emotion to the feet of Jesus, sure. because really he's the only one who can heal yeah. and he's the only one that can really fix. And it, it starts in the unseen realm of our heart. Can I tag on to what she sure, and Rob please. was saying? Um, I also think to y'all's point is also holding our friends and family and loved ones accountable. You know, if you see something, act out, don't, you know, shy away from it or walk away from it. If you see something, you know, call it out for what it is. And because mm. uh, some people may not know that they're being triggered by something. Sure. And sometimes we're blind to that. So if we see someone do something or if we're walking with a friend and the person gets really tense, just say, hey, it's okay. You know, what happened? Like, what was it? Because in that moment, it's easier for them to really understand what happened versus if they're thinking about it to themselves um, in their own comfort or yeah. their home. So. One of the things is my prayer is that, you know, even just for, for white people that, you know, some of them know that they have slave masters as, you know, back in their ancestry. And they do feel a guilt and a shame. And if they're Christians, I would say, you know, just take that to the Lord and help him get rid of that shame. Um, and, you know, you can repent for what they did, you know, like, Lord, they sinned to you, you know, they mistreated, brutally mistreated people. Lord, will you cover that with my blood, but with your blood and just wash the consequences of their stuff off my family line, you know? So prayer really is powerful. You know, Rob, you were talking about that. You know, we really need to see God come in with what we can't do as human beings. And, and, and do a mighty work. And it, it does start with that interaction of prayer, I think. Well, what we want to do now is we take communion at every single service and have throughout this COVID-19 crisis. And so as we were meeting and talking about our time together to preach this sermon collectively, um, what we wanted to do was end by taking communion together. And so if you could have your communion elements and go ahead and pick those up at this time. But one of the things that is very noteworthy is that in the scriptures, when it talks about communion, it says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. In other words, every time we take communion, we take communion with an understanding that there's hatred, 
there's bitterness, there's jealousy, there's dysfunction in the world in which we live. And Jesus was immersed in that. And I have felt so strongly that as we take communion together this morning, that we're going to do it as a group here, that we're going to break bread together, and we're going to remember that Jesus has a way of transforming the human heart and the human life, that Jesus has a way of helping people overcome things that without him, it's impossible. I have the clearest sense as we take communion that there are people who this is the first time you've really listened to a brother or sister in Christ of color who have shared their story. And I know that there's a request that we would continue to do that as a church family. I know that a dear friend of mine who's a colleague here in town, who's a pastor of color, has said that if we ever see racism as part of the white church, we are called to confront that when we see it, that we're to call it out and call people to a higher standard. But in the midst of this, I think it's important for us to know that the person we follow, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is someone who suffered horrible injustice. And in the midst of that, we submit ourselves to him again, that we're going to walk in his ways, that we're not going to walk in this the way the world does, that we're going to do this differently. And I think it means for a lot of us who are white, that we would look at our lives and say, have I been intentionally tone deaf to my brothers and sisters in Christ and the struggles that they have? And so the scripture tells us we've been baptized into one body by one spirit through one Lord, and that's where the unity lies. So as we hold this communion up before the Lord, we're going to do that as a church family, recognizing that we're imperfect, but God calls us together. And so scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he broke bread. And in breaking that bread, he held it out to each one of them and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it. So if we can hold the bread up before the Lord now, and knowing that God came in the flesh into a horribly torturous world, and yet he did that out of love for us. Let's hold the bread before the Lord. Well, God, we thank you for who you are. We pray that as we hold this bread up, that we would do it in faith, knowing that on the night that you were betrayed, Lord Jesus, that you offered your body as a sacrifice for us. At this time, Tina, I'm gonna ask that you would pray a prayer over the bread. Father, we know that you, Jesus, you, Jesus, you are the bread of life. You gave yourself, you gave your flesh, your body, so that we could have life and that more abundantly. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we eat of your word as we partake with your crucifixion on the cross and we were raised with you. So, Jesus, we thank you for offering yourself for us. Let's eat together. The scripture says that after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And that this blood was shed for the atonement of everyone's sin who would put their faith, hope, and trust in him. And so at this time, I'm going to ask that we would hold the cup up before the Lord. But as we hold the cup up, we're going to drink this cup, knowing that Jesus came to atone for and to forgive and to cover our sins. But as we hold this cup up before the Lord, let's let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Rob, I'm going to ask that you would pray a blessing over the cup. 
Lord Jesus, we give thanks for your shed blood. Thank you that you covered our sin. Thank you that through your blood we have life and life eternal. Let there be unity in the body of Christ because of your blood. Thank you, Jesus.